Tonight's sermon is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Jesus loves sinners. I mean, seriously. I mean, look around. Jesus loves sinners. I, huh. You don't seem as excited about it as I am. And that's to be expected. I get it. I get it. I get it. Everybody, we're a little slow on the uptake. It's, it's, it takes something to get there. So I, that's what I'm hoping tonight, that we can get there. Right? You know, I, Jesus loves sinners. I, I, I don't know what part of that I, I, I cherish more, but he loves sinners like you and me. I, I, you know, it's funny, how do I get to, how do we, how do I make that precious to you? Like, how, how do, how do we, how do you, how do we infect you with joy? You know, I was thinking about it, often when I come in here, at Craig upstairs, he'll go, he'll go, what's the, what's the title for the sermon? You know, I'm like, I don't know, you know, he's like, I don't know, I don't like titles for sermons, I don't like being cute, the preaching, really. But I did think of a title for this sermon, Sermons Nobody Likes. Sermons nobody likes. All right, what kind of sermon is this? Well, this is about sin. You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know if you'll, it's an old saw. It's an old joke. It's, uh, it's older than anybody in this room, probably. Somebody asked the other person, what did you do today? I went to church. Oh, well, how was the sermon? Well, it was good. What was it about? Well, it was about sin. What did he have to say? Well, I hear he was against it. He was against it. And you know, you hear that, and, and when I say the word sin, or when I say, when I say things like the word sin, I, you know, nothing pops. Nothing, nothing. I mean, it's a dead room. The minute I start talking like that. And I think one of the, and what I want to do today is, I, I guess, what I hope to do, by God's grace, you know, I don't know if Jesus wants to be here and, and by his spirit, use me and use you and, and be with us, but I want to hurt you. If God gives me grace, I want to wound you. Because only in the wounds, only in the wounds do we find joy. Joy in our salvation. Joy that we are loved the way we are. Joy that we're rescued. You know, I was just thinking about it, and, I, and, and, and so I, I, my intention is, is to wound. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna, I can't do that without him. It's his work. But, oh, that's what I want. That's what I'm seeking from him. And so, and, and so one of the, you know, I said, how do I do that? Because Christians, oh, oh you, you're a crafty bunch. Oh, man. 
I can, I'm included. I know that. But still, I can point the finger while I'm up here, can't I? Work, work, we're a wily bunch of people. I'm serious. No preacher gets up and starts talking about sin, then we no sooner have a bunch, I mean, an arsenal of responses in our hearts. Because a lot of us have been in church for a long, long time, most of our lives. Some of us have. And so we, we hear a particular sermon, and I, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, but yeah, we, we hear a particular sermon, and we, maybe, maybe we hear it's about sin, immediately, immediately, immediately we go into write-off mode. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's check-out mode, you know. We're going to pretend to be reading the scripture in our, in our, in our phone or something like that. You know, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna check out, because honestly, who needs the negativity? You know, like, let's be part of us, like, I didn't come to church for negativity, and I don't really want to, I don't want to, and I'm not listening, not listening, not, and I can usually tell if people are there just by watching. Maybe another, maybe you have another response. This is one of my favorites, redirecting. I've done this one. I've done them all, but this is one of my favorite ones, redirecting. What's redirecting? Oh, the sermon's about sin. Oh, I wish Beth was here. Oh, man. She really needs to hear that. Gee, I hope that Ted's listening because he really needs to hear this today. Doesn't he, Sarah? Yeah. And what do we do? We immediately we, we start redirecting. You always know you are in spiritual trouble if you can think of somebody else who should be listening to the sermon that God happens to put you right in the room for. You see what I mean? You're, you're redirecting. You're thinking this applies to somebody else. It doesn't apply to you. I want to catch you. Why am I pointing these out? I'm pointing out how wily our heart. Catch, watch your own heart. Watch, watch your heart, what it does. Maybe you're going to start um, bargaining with me a little bit in your heart. Well, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm glad to hear about sin. But does he know? I actually hugged a homeless person the other day. Yeah, I'm doing good things. I'm out. You see, we, what do we start doing? We start bargaining. We start, we, start, we start giving proof in our hearts that maybe this isn't. Maybe this isn't about us. And of course, the, the classic granddaddy of all is we, we should start comparing. It's another form of redirecting, but it really is. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's really, Chris can talk and, and the preacher can talk all he wants. I'm not like those people in Dolores Park. I'm not like them. Better than that. You compare. Anything, it seems to me, to avoid, get around something that hurts, something that might, might sting, something that might actually confront. And it's so sad because, you know, from everything I've learned in my life, the only things that heal me are the wounds that come from Jesus and the Spirit. So let's seek that tonight and catch yourself. Watch, pay attention to yourself. Is there anything in you that fights the message because you, because you resist it? Because if you do that, if you do that, I think you run the risk of just never getting to the joy. The joy they're supposed to invite us into. Now, as I begin this, I was thinking about, I think one of the problems, though, is right in our text. One of the problems you have is in our text. Am I saying there's a problem with the Bible? No. I'm saying there's a problem with this translation. I'm saying there's a problem with the translation. And what I have often found is that words about sin, like the word sin, are empty of meaning at their best. In other words, they're religious words, if at best. Well, let's take a look at the text. How does it begin? 
you were dead. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses. I'm sorry. Trespass is not going to cut it for anybody in this room. You know, even in Greek, even in the Greek, it comes from the word from slipping. And, you know, oops, I trespassed. Who in here is going to have a broken heart that they trespass? Oops. The words don't sting. They don't bite. They don't cut. Why? Well, I think it's a bad word for this in here, for us to use here. And I think we'll see where, where the good words are. I think we'll see. I'll show you where the good words are. Well, how about the next word? Sin. Oh, let me tell you, this, this new chocolate that Tao got me, uh, it's, it's pure sin to eat it. Now, anybody who loves chocolate in this room wants to taste it. Sin. All of a sudden, sin doesn't sound, it doesn't sound awful. It doesn't sound horrible. See these words? They've fallen out of, they've fallen out of power. Then the other one's like transgression. Another word, transgression is another one. It just sounds like something like a little kid would do. I transgress. It doesn't sound terrible. Uh, here's an, and then there are the specialized ones, the ones that, the ones that we know mean something, but who knows what they really mean? Iniquity. Now, if you have a good, a good vocabulary, you know exactly what iniquity words it means. But if you don't, you just generally know it's one of those religious bad words for bad people, right? Doesn't sting. Good heavens! I mean. Michael Jackson destroyed the word bad. Nobody can ever think that bad means anything bad because I'm bad, you know, all that crap. And then uh, what else? What's another one? Yeah, I just did the move. Not very well, though, but I did it. You missed it? I'm not doing it again. It's, it's too bad. And uh, what's another one? It was another one that came from, uh, wicked, wicked. Even wicked sounds, yeah, oh, that's wicked, man. I was a, that was a big term in the 80s, but I don't know if anybody uses it any longer. But the, but the problem is some of the language. And, you know, it's funny. Let's take a look. Let's go right into the text here because this word here, let's take a look at the words. Trespasses and sins. And then there's another, there's another description of sin later in the text. It's here in verse 3. Uh, living uh, in the passion of the flesh or counting out the desires of the body. And it actually means the, the wishes of the flesh. This flesh is used twice in that verse. The desires and the wishes, the things your flesh desires and wants, seeks and wishes for. Now, there's three concepts, though. You already introduced them. You didn't even see it. You didn't even notice, because I didn't tell you. Take a look at our confession from Psalm 51. What I did with our confession from Psalm 51 was use the Hebrew roots. All right, let's take that word trespass. Let's take that word trespass in Hebrew. It's all over Psalm 51. It's often translated like a transgression word in Hebrew. But you know where it comes from? Rebellion. Now, if I tell you you're a rebel, you know exactly what that means. Like, there's no question of what, what the ill or the evil of that could be. Some people think being a rebel is noble, but many, we know what that means. Rebellion. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you get this, you were dead in your fist shaking in the face of, oh, 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 that's, that's a sin? Now, this is an idea that that, that the things we do are a shaking of the fist of our own rights and our own sovereignty. I do as I please with my body, my life, my money, my heart. So I translate them differently here. You'll see, see where the best place to look. Look in the middle of the, the, the part in Psalm 51. Wash our distorted hearts completely. Cleanse us from our failure. We know our rebellion. You see that? That's just, the, that's just a translation of the core Hebrew. 
That's what's in Paul's mind. Remember, Paul's a Jew. He thinks in Hebrew. He probably dreamt in Hebrew, which makes sense because the rabbis have told us, as I've told you before, that uh, Hebrew is spoken in heaven. So you all better start practicing right now. But this Hebrew, Hebrew has this tangibility, right? It has this uh, practicality. A lot of Hebrew is like this, by the way, if you ever study it. it the, the language itself is very earnest and in the, it's all very uh, tactile and practical. So the first one is, is rebellion. What about the next one, sin? Well, actually, Paul's clever. Because the Hebrew word and the Greek word are exactly the same in the meaning. So hamartia, the Greek word, is the famous one, is, is, it was actually used of shooting a bow. And if you shot a bow and you didn't get to your target, it was hamartia. Fell short. This is the sin that, God, that Paul's getting at, is that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now you notice the first one, that rebellion is a sin of commission. This is more omission. But do you hear, I don't like omission and commission, because mostly because they're Latin, and, because they, and they don't sting either. But this stings because I know what failure means. If there's anything I want to hide from you, it's the failure I feel. Oh gosh, I hate it. If there's anything I want, I want people to see, it's the failures. If there's anything you hide, it's your failures. We detest failure in America, and most of all in San Francisco. There's no room for that. Failure. Wow. To fail to meet up to a standard. To fail to reach the mark. Which of you, in any part of your love of anybody you have loved, have not known a criminal failure in your heart on that one and are ashamed? All the things we failed to do. <sighs> okay. Am I getting little wounds in yet? Are the wounds starting to come? Are some of those calluses you developed over the years reading your Bible starting to wear off? You know, I was thinking about, I don't know if you read Natalie's article about speed bumps in the city. She wrote an article about speed bumps. It's, it's a good article. And it's about how they, they make these particular speed bumps, these particular speed bumps, where they're just one single mound. And I've seen them. I think they're awesome. Because if you aim your car just right, especially if you've got an SUV, if you aim your car right, just right, you don't feel it at all. You know? You don't have to slow down. Uh, that was the point, obviously. You're supposed to slow down, right? But a lot of times when we get to passages like this, when we get into these questions of sin and, and, and transgression and judgment, we, don't, we speed up. We don't, want to, we don't want to stay over this. We don't want to hover over this stuff. Even though it's so good for our hearts. So good. What's the third word? There's, a three, there's three concepts. It's one word in the Hebrew, and it's several words. He uses several words of concepts to describe it here. He describes it as a wish of the flesh or the, or the desires of the flesh. The Hebrew word means bent. <laughs> now, it's funny. In, in England, they use that as an expression. If, if a cop, if a policeman is corrupt, they call him a bent copper. I love that expression, a bent cop. And they, and they say it with venom. I mean, it's something we all hate that, right? Corruption and law enforcement. But I love that expression of a bent copper. Because one of the things I love about this idea, because as we explore the words of Psalm 51, we discover, oh, wait a second, Paul in Ephesians 2 is grabbing these ideas of sin to present them to us so we can understand what it means to be sinners before a holy God. You know, I, um, 
the deformed one, this last one, is distorted, inward distorted. There's something about this. Eh? This happened about five years. No. How long have I been here now? Gosh, 10 years now. So it was 10 years ago. Um, sitting about, about where Lindsay is uh, was um, one of my elders. One of the most beautiful and handsome and wonderful men I've ever known. Uh, some of you met him at my wedding. Uh, and his name's James. Beautiful, beautiful black man. And he's same-sex attracted. It's the harrowing reality of his life. And he hates, and he hates it, he hates himself. I remember teaching this. I remember teaching this bold, beautiful man, never broke composure, always looked great. And as I was teaching, and as I was teaching about this idea that God has named a distortion that he sees and, the, and the, the, there's, a, the, there's a warp to who we are that cannot be fixed in the flesh. And, he, and I remember, because I, remember I was preaching, and I was excited about the text, you, know, you can imagine. And, and, the, and I look, and I just catch his eye. And a smile at the same time. Because it was coming to him, wasn't it? Jesus loves sinners. Wait, you know what this means, don't you? You know what this means, don't you? He has understood what our sin was. He has named it. And he loves people like us. Oh! You know, it's, you know, it's, I want to, I, I want to, all right, I, I think, I feel an obligation to wound you a little more deeply. Let me, let me, let me, let me be clear. God is telling you it is a criminal violation of his, of his living heart for you to rebel. And he will never be in his perfection. Wink at your failure. Or say, that's okay. Good job. Better luck next time. And he will never smile at your distorted heart. These are criminal things before a mighty God. Oh! You know why I want to wound you, don't you? Because the sin that we indulge in, the sin we indulge in, the sin that we, that we cater to, and the warp and deformation of our hearts and our, and our words and our mouths, what happens, many of us don't feel it because... We're doing it. Let me, let me explain here, right? Sin deadens you the minute you do it. <laughs> Look, you know, you, you want to you, you, you you get freedom from your conscience? Go do the worst thing you can do. <laughs> because it's horrible. But in the moment you do it, all of a sudden you're like, what? I don't feel bad about this at all anymore. What? That's called searing your conscience, by the way. <laughs> the Bible talks about this. You can do it. Many of us, in some ways, I think, have done it. We have, not, we have not reckoned. We have not reckoned. We have not reckoned with the danger we are in. Uh, there's an old, this is an old saw. I'm going to admit that because I got it out of a preaching book, but I still love it. And it's an old illustration. But it so captures it. I'm going to tell you because it's an illustration that will stick with you the rest of your life, if you haven't heard it already. Eskimos have a way of dealing with wolves. There's an old story, the Exodus have a way of dealing with wolves. It's very specific and very, very effective. And what they do is they make a popsicle, a sealed blood popsicle for the wolf. If a wolf's been terrifying the village and terrorizing it or, 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 or causing problems, they'll make a popsicle 
a, a, a sealed blood popsicle. But what's this way they do it? They take a cold knife and dip it in the blood. And get one layer, you just keep dipping over and again. That's how you make popsicles, right? You just keep dipping and dipping and dipping. And, and the cold knife, what happens? He forms this red, big red popsicle around the knife. Now, all they need to do then is take that popsicle out onto the, out onto the permafrost, put it down in the ground, plant it. A wolf will smell it eventually, and it'll come, and it'll start licking. Oh, blood, yeah, <laughs> wonderful, tasting it, what he wants, what he desires in his heart. But one of the problems that happens when you start to lick a popsicle is your tongue goes numb. So the wolf never feels the knife and never realizes as he dies that he's drinking his own blood, not the seal anymore. That's sin. And that's why you're in so much danger when you toy or play or ignore or not wound it to the quick. Wound to the quick. Spirit, wound us to the quick. Why? Well, because it just gets, it gets, it gets so beautiful. Let me, let me, let me. I, look, look at verse four. Look at verse four. Because this is, I, how many of you are familiar with R.C. Sproul? He's a favorite teacher of mine. I, 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 I commend it to all of you. And this is, one, this is a statement from one of his books. This is the greatest word in the Bible. He even says it's his favorite word in the Bible. First word, verse 4. Because just as, just as he has taken us to the cleaners, this is what I'm trying to do now, and asked by the Spirit to do it. This is he's broken down the true brokenness of man. The true fullness of man. What does he say? But... There's an enormous, but <laughs> that's not the end of the story, is it? Because that's just the setup. That was just the stage. That was just a foil. That was just meant to be this beautiful magnification of the fact that God is rich in mercy and abounding in love. <laughs> and wow, what a love. Wow, what a love. Because he loves people like us. Jesus loves sinners. And it's all about the beauty of his grace. I, you know, it, it, I, was, I touched on this last week, and I, and I just want to wallow in it. I want to I play in it. <laughs> I want to grab it and just and, and, and stick it into my heart so it can never get out. <laughs> Take a look with me. There's three passes in the text. Three passes, one right after other. They're passes for us, but they're active descriptions of God's work. Look in verse 4. We were, we, I'm sorry, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. Look at verse 6. And he raised us up with him. And, ver, and then it continues. And he seated us with him. The three things that God has done. Made us alive. Raised us up. Seated us with him. Now, we should notice something really magnificent in false thinking. It's very clever. He who was, he who is, he who is to come. Do you see it? This is a comprehensive idea that all of God in eternity has care of you in your entire timeline. <laughs> Made alive in Christ. Even while you're still dead. Made alive in Christ. Raised us with him. Now this raised language. Have you reckoned with what the love part of Jesus loves sinners means? Let me, let me eliminate you. He has been saying over and over again, you will the only way to understand resurrection power is to understand that your worship tonight was a miracle. You know that? It was a, it was a miracle that Corey worshipped. And that's for a number of reasons. But <laughs> it's a miracle that we're here. 
Because that is an active, your active love and worship and obedience is the resurrection power of Jesus. That's what it is. What do you, you know, you, you, Jesus loves sinners. It means that he loves them so much. He gives them everything that they have, everything they, everything they can do that is good is and of and through him. What a savior. I mean, Jesus, can you see why I'm excited? Why aren't, why aren't you guys more excited? Jesus loves sinners. Look at this love. It's the love that, that Christ, puts Christ on that cross, that drives him to it. And we you know it's one of the most interesting things you really saw in Holy Week. And I'm so glad that so many people pointed out that service. Nothing about Christ is a victim at all. Father, into my hands, I, to your hands, I commit my spirit. <laughs> Forgive them for they know not what to do. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the king. He was the king on the cross. He's the king today. And, and, and our hope and our work as a church, this, look around, this is miracle. Right here. This is resurrection power at display. Praise him. Praise him. <laughs> he, he's at work, he was at work. Did you know that he did a miracle through you today, Sarah? Did you know? Did you even think about it? I didn't think about it. Shows you what an idiot I am. We need to think about it. We need to reach into it. But you notice that Paul goes further. After he describes God in three ways, doing things passively, we're merely recipients of. Then he tackles all human effort and salvation. What do he say? He uses faith. Talks about faith. Even that's not a gift. Even that's a gift. Oh, no, don't, don't make any mistake here. On the human side, what about works? Don't, don't make any mistake. The works you do are the works. I, uh, there's a wonderful totality, a wonderful capture. It's as if God's trying to hem you off on every way you could think you could get around it and maybe, and, and not understand it. Um, it's just, you know, I told about this a couple weeks ago, but you know, I told you this. The early church never marked his tomb and never marked the day of Easter. Why? They were living in resurrection power whenever they worshiped. I'm serious. They, they saw it. To them, marking the tomb was like marking where you left your garbage can. Who cares? Who the heck cares where you left your trash? <laughs> we are walking and animated. You know, your hope for holiness, our hope for holiness in this generation, our hope for the city, are it's God making resurrection power, making dead folks live. Amen? That's our hope. It's the only thing that's going to make any difference. You know, it's funny, uh, Somebody told me this. Was it you, Carol? Um, Dolores Park used to be a cemetery. Used to be a cemetery. Take a look. It still is. But you know what? God works in cemeteries, doesn't he? <laughs> That's where he does his best work. <laughs> Praise him. Let's turn to him. You know, it's twice in the text, I don't know if you caught this, by grace you were saved. You can almost hear Paul in his, in, his, in his syntax stumbling over himself, wanting to make the point that you are, all the riches of mercy and grace have been made available to his children. Now, as we kind of parse this open, you know, it's funny, I, I've seen so many people try to corrupt this. Here's a corruption that comes out sometimes. Maybe you've heard it. Have nothing to do with these teachings. Sometimes people will teach, you know how the last text says, 
the works prepared in advance for us to do beforehand? Well, some, some people said, oh, maybe, maybe God chooses and chooses to love sovereignly in his grace. People he knows will be good when he, when he, when he, when he calls them. People, that's how people have perverted this text. Well, what is that instinct? What is that instinct there? Well, why, why would somebody want to say that? Because we always desire at some place to insert ourselves in grace. Because grace doesn't make any sense at all. And if you tell me grace makes sense, I challenge you. Because I've been studying it for four years, and I think it's the biggest puzzle I've ever seen. I can't, I die. I, sometimes it feels like it's so simple. I could live in it forever. And other times I think you're crashing my head going, what the heck does it mean? How could grace be real like that? How could God love like that? And yet he does. Praise him. Yeah, he does. Another, another personal interpretation, you've heard this sometimes, uh, I've heard this kind of thing, is that um, um, God saw in advance that perhaps you would you respond well. Another thing that uh, another perspective people sometimes have is, I heard this one, I was sharing it with Ted and uh, Corey, but I kind of liked it. I even remember thinking this early on in my faith walk, because sovereignty and grace just sounds so total. But sometimes we think of grace as like, a drowning man. I see all these people who are dying, who don't know Christ. It's like they're drowning. And they're, they have one hand out of the water. Just, they're going down, right? But Jesus, when he wants to save people, he knows how to just aim that life preserver and just whip it at them. You know? And then they, they catch it, and they, almost like a reflex. They just grab that life preserver, and they're going to be okay. The problem is, our text says that that man already drowned. You see, none of this works. <laughs> it's a, it's, God saves dead people, not living people. And we can do and have done nothing and will do nothing ever in this description of God's work of power and grace to do anything to add, create, <laughs> improve, keep our salvation. Because it's all of him. For it's by grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves, lest anyone sit in this room say, oh, it's me, and anyone boast about it. <laughs> what a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful Savior. You see this totality in his, in his word, in his love. Um, you know, I, uh, I want to encourage you. You know, it's funny. I was, all right, so, you know, I guess what I wanted to do is, first I wanted to wound, and then I wanted to put a little bit of... Um, Neosporin. No, no, no. The gospel's more powerful than Neosporin. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no comparison. Never mind. There's no medical comparison. It doesn't work. We're not sick people. We're dead people. But, the, but um, I want to encourage your hearts in this and renew your encouragement. So here I was wounding you so I can offer you the balm of that wonderful but. God's mercy. But there's another lesson in the text for us. I hope you'll walk into it with me. What about besetting sin? What are we to do with besetting sin? Because many of us, all of us, have some weakness in us that haunts us or something that shames us, embarrasses us. I mean, it could be an obsession with pornography. It could be having uh, inappropriate romantic feelings about everybody at work. It could be worrying, getting up in the morning and worrying immediately. Maybe that, it could be uh, an acquisitive nature that likes, to, that likes to be smarter and look better than everybody else. 
It could be, oh, who knows? It could be a lack of tongue control. Besetting sins. It caused you to stumble again. You've walked with God. I guess I've walked with God since I was eight years old. That's 38 years of me falling flat on my face. No, is that right? 48 years, golly. Holy cow, my old. Holy cow, I just did bad math there. So what do we do with besetting sins in this, in what I just described here? And I think the, I think the idea that Jesus loves sinners really comes to fruition here. Because one of the things that God is doing by permitting those weaknesses in your life is keeping you humble and humbly attached to grace alone. You know, God loves you so much. <laughs> he loves you so Listen to what he said. Listen to what Paul said. He, we know we love Paul. And Paul said to keep me from being conceited. Yeah. Yeah! You, me, us! We're all liable for it, aren't we? We all have our own conceits. Well, I'm not like her. Well, I don't do this. And or, um, you know, I, I think I'm better than them. And then God implants. And you sit there and you're frustrated by your constant failure. And you feel like such a loser. And, and all the while, our Father is doing it because he loves you. Because to allow you to be conceited, to allow you to continue like that, without like some independence you could get, would be a great crime against you. It would leave you without hope in the world because finally grace would no longer be the life of your life, right? It would no longer be the blood of your life. You know, it's a, I know you don't like it. I know you don't like your critical nature. I know you don't like, I know some you don't like your loose tongue. You don't like your way your, your heart just doubts. Mm. But don't you see how tender our Father is? He wants you to know, no, I made you alive, Will. No, I raised you up, Sarah. No, I have seated you, Carolyn. I'm, I am the author of salvation, beginning to end, lock, stock, and barrel. Worship me. Worship me and adore my grace. Stand it and live in it. Eat it and breathe it. Eat it. We're going to eat it. That's how much he wants us to understand grace. He asks us to eat it. That's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong emphasis, don't you think? Don't you think? You can almost, you almost get the impression that, <laughs> I don't know why I just saw this. And years ago, I worked, I worked, almost became a policeman, I swear. I almost, almost became a policeman because uh, I was working public safety in Wheaton, Illinois. And uh, I, met, I met a lot of cops, and this one cop was telling me about his dad was a cop. And he said, you know, it's kind of funny, he never made it above a beat cop. But he said, I think I can tell you why, though. And, uh, and, and the mayor's son used to come to work every day, and he'd blow off a stop sign downtown. And the cop had pulled him over at least four or five times, and, he, and the, the, the kid wasn't listening. So he stops him this last time. His name was Schlichting, I remember. And uh, he, he, got, he, he, got, he leaned in the window, he said, young man, I want to ask you something. And he takes his finger and he started hitting him in the forehead like this. Do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down? <laughs> you know? <sighs> Why was I sharing that? I had an image with, there was a reason I was actually a reason I was sharing that. Uh, I, I, 
I guess I had a picture of God doing that to us somehow. Well, I haven't done that in a long time. Using an illustration, I can't remember what I was going to use it for while I was using it. That's why I shouldn't go off script. What we're being introduced here is some of the weightiest things in theology. Do you know that? And you're living in them, and you're living in some of the tension of them. And this text is introducing you to them. It really is. You, we were born into a play, into a, in, we were born, we were actually created, I'm sorry. We were created into a, in a state of innocence. And in that state of innocence, Adam and humanity, as Adam represented humanity, was able to sin. But also able not to sin. When he fell, we, we inherited these words. <laughs> and now we are not able not to sin. That's, that's the lot of humanity. Not able not to sin. Now those of you who have been redeemed, if you know Jesus, he, by the engrafting the, of the Holy Spirit, and by that, the march of his resurrection power in us, animating us, we are not able. We are now able, as unbelievable as it sometimes sounds, we are able not to sin. But he has prepared a place for us in a, in a time. I felt such a yearning for it yesterday. When I will not be able to sin. When I'm seated forever. And not just in Jesus now. When I'm seated with him in eternity. And everything I'm describing about the totality of grace is meant to catch you up in that, in that work of God across history. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just wonderful? Jesus loves sinners. <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was worried, as we come to, uh, come to our communion, I was worried about trying to convince you, trying to convince you that you're sinful people. Trying to convince you, really, that you're worse than you think you are. Why? Well, it's just a setup. Because what I want to preach to you in the cross of Christ is you are loved more than you ever dared imagine. That was my real goal, was to convince you of that through the first one. May the Holy Spirit do his work. Praise him. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, I pray for a heart that adores you. I pray for a heart that worships and loves you. I Oh, I pray for, I just yearn. I, I yearn and I plead with you. I, I pray for that resurrection power. <laughs> I pray for walking in you and with you and by you and through you for all of us. Father, I, I, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to beat people up for no reason. And I, but, but I know that you, your wounds are faithful. Your wounds, your wounds your, 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 by your stripes we were healed. And, 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 and by the stripes sometimes we have, we are healed too. We, we learn so much. Would you help us <laughs> to get excited again that Jesus loves sinners? Because that means us. And the more we, the deeper we go into it, the deeper we go into it, Father. Would you, would you take us into those depths? Will you take us to the table? Will you take us to new joy? Will you take us to new repentance? Will you take us to new worship? Will you take us to new love? <laughs> will you take us, Father? <laughs> In your rich mercy. In the name of Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, you know, he took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And then after dinner, uh, he, uh, 
Oh, I know what the knocking on the head illustration was. It, I was getting the point was that Jesus uses stuff like this. He just keeps drilling the point into our brains. That was the point. It just wasn't a very good illustration of that particular idea. Anyway, so God's knocking on your brain right now. You get it? All right, so. But I want you to see this. This is very, very beautiful. This is why we do it every week, because need, we need the repetition. We need to constantly you know, be kind of knocked in the head with it. Because on the night he was betrayed, he also took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood, the blood shedding on the cross. We have to be covered by blood. Oh, without, without a shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for you, Will, period, or for me. But this is all of this teaching us again and again, like little babies, so we don't miss the point. Jesus in me means he loves me, and, lo and he puts all his blood on top of a sinner like me so that I'm always clean and I can live for him. That's the, it's so simple. You could have, one of the things I observed that you could have a very low IQ and understand the gospel as clear as a bell. It's so simple. And yet, like I said earlier, so hard to understand. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, uh, so as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I invite you, those of you who have faith in Jesus, made alive by him in Christ, made alive together with him. Well, this is your table and your cup, and you ought to get on up here, and you should get this as often as you can, because you need it. <laughs> you need the reminder, you need the power, you need the presence, you need, you need all of what this says. Amen? What we need? Now, there's a great exception, as you know, if you think you're a good person. If you thought you were a good person, then you're not worthy of the table. The table's for Jesus loves sinners. I like something that I heard, uh, I heard um, Drew say today, I really loved it, and he said something really, I thought was very wise at the table. He says, he says if you're exploring Christ, and you don't yet know him, um, then uh, we think it would be inauthentic for you to take the table. It wouldn't mean anything to you. So we, we ask you to watch, just to watch and learn what it is to truly know Christ before you take the table. I think I like that. That's a nice way of putting it. It's a little harsher than the way I say it. But. And if you're a skeptic, finally, if you're a skeptic, I, I invite you to watch and, and have your skepticism challenged, as it were, uh, by our faith. And someday you will believe. Um, that's the fence. What am I doing right now? Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's proclaim to one another the mystery of our faith. Caroline, will you come up and help me serve the, the table, please? Just grab the bread and bring it over. Let's proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. See that past? I love it. It's all over the Bible. Um, I ask you to consent and, and agree and to believe in the, in the Apostles' Creed, we will, we will say together, read together, as facts in space and time, and not, uh, and not uh, religious talk. Where did I put my... Oh. Brothers and sisters, Christian, tell me, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Oh, we believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now, we have a new routine now. I'll instruct you as, as those of you who have not experienced it yet. But what we're doing is um, we have an option for those who do not wish to do this, and that, that'll be right here in the cups. We'll put these right here where you can get them easily. Oh, sorry. Could you help me with that? Thank you, Spencer. But we, our tradition right now will be it's in tincture. And what that will mean is, is you take a piece of bread and you dip it into the wine and then take it immediately on the spot. And I mean, this is, this is a, I think we can manage a fairly sanitary way of doing this. And there's actually gluten-free crackers here as well. And so uh, we're going to celebrate this, the table this way as we come down. And we're, as we're singing our final song, what's our final song this week? Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Oh, we, most of us know this one. So it's even more perfect. So as you're coming down, you take the, take the uh, bread, tear it, dip in the wine, and we'll, we'll be speaking a blessing over you as you do it. And, uh, and then uh, that's our, that's, this is our new practice. So come, come to the Lord's table. Come. The Lord bids you come. Come on, get it. Dinner time's on for the believers. Come on. Jesus loves sinners, brother. Jesus loves sinners like you. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it, 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 just dip it. Just dip it. Dip, just, just go do it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Jesus loves sinners like you and me, brother. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I know. Can you believe that he loves the way he does, my dear sister? Rock Praise of ages cleft for me. Amen. Let me hide myself in thee. Can you take it all Let in, brother? Jesus water loves sinners like you and me. From thy ribbon. Side like you and me? which flowed be of sin the praise him <laughs> cleanse me from <laughs> what a what a love